0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, New Life. Good morning. Man, it's good to see you all today. Welcome if you're brand new with us today. So glad you're here. My name is Kevin. I'm going to guide us through our time together this morning. And if you came for Easter and you came back, hey, congratulations. You're on a streak right now. This is like a church streak and I'm impressed. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. My hope would be that your experience will be like a friend of mine who I talked to a week ago, and, and she said this. She said, if you would have asked me two years ago if I would have liked going to church, I would have said you were crazy. She said, but now I, I like church, and I miss it when I'm not there because I, I can connect with God, and I'm learning things, and I'm meeting people who are on a similar journey, and we have fun together, and we laugh, and it's exciting. And my hope for you, if you came last week and something piqued your interest— and you thought, you know what, I'm going to try this for a second time. My hope is that this just becomes a regular part of who you are and what you do, because our goal would be that you would really connect with God as you're here. So if it's week one, maybe next week start your streak. If it's week two, congratulations, you're doing it. And if you're on week like a thousand, hey, look at you. You're going into the Hall of Fame. Well done. Um, I literally don't know anything about baseball, so I hope those metaphors were right. I'm a preacher, not a player. So uh, here's what you want to do. You want to grab your program, because inside of it there are some tools that will help us get on the same page, take this journey together. The first are some teaching notes. We have a lot to talk about today, so you're going to want to grab those teaching notes. Uh, You can make notes. You can write down things you agree with, things you don't agree with. There are places to fill in the blank. All the Bible verses I use are there. Go ahead and grab that. The other thing you're going to want to have is this card that says, Start Here. It's our connection card. And we simply ask every week that everyone fills it out because it helps us connect with you. It'll help you connect with other people. Um, It'll help you connect with what we're doing in the city and around the world. And we, we want to help you connect. Connect with God, connect with people, however you would want to do that. So go ahead and start filling that out. And while you're filling out that card, I'll tell you what to do with that a little bit later. I want you to think about the worst flu you ever had. Think about the time when you you had the flu at its worst. That time when you said, I'm just so thankful there's no flu in heaven. So think about that, that time. Do you have it in your mind? Just stare at me blankly if you do. Okay, perfect. You got it. My worst flu happened 14 months and two days ago. And I know that because it was my birthday weekend, and I want to set the stage for you for what was, in fact, the worst flu the Finkbeiner family has ever encountered. Uh, on that Saturday, which would have been February 23rd, we were moving from Roner Park to Petaluma, so we got... The boxes packed up. We had a ton of people from the church come and help us. Uh, it, was, it was an incredible time. We got moved down here to Petaluma. Boxes everywhere. You know how it is. When you first move in, you have boxes everywhere. We, have a, uh, we had a little girl who was four at the time, and our little boy was just under two years old, and they were loving it. It was like a playhouse and forts and the whole thing. Well, that next morning, I was supposed to be preaching up here. It was my birthday, February 24th. I was going to be preaching. My wife, Maria, was leading worship. And we walked through those back doors, and our little boy, Landon, who was just about two, he said, Daddy, I don't feel good. And I knelt down and said, What's wrong, buddy? And the minute I knelt down, he vomited all over me. I mean, all over my best plaid shirt. It was disgusting. Disgusting. What do you do on that day? Maria's leading worship. I'm preaching. Um... We called up a friend, and you only have a few friends like this. You're lucky if you have a few friends like this. So you can say to them, Hey, my kid has the flu. Will you come watch them? Because you know their family's probably going to get the flu. And this this family, they all got the flu about a week later. So they'll tell you their story another time. I said, Hey, can you watch Landon? I took him home. I changed into my second best plaid shirt, left Landon there, and came back to church. Preached, had a good day. uh, Went home, celebrated my birthday with a super burrito, which I love, while taking care of Landon, who was still vomiting throughout the night. The next morning, my wife calls me about 10 minutes after I get to work, and she says, honey, you have to come home. I've got it now. So I go get her some crackers, some 7-Up, take it home to her. She's now got the 24-hour flu with everything that goes along with it, the nausea, the vomiting, the whole nine yards. About 6 o'clock that night, Maddie gets our little girl. And they're, we're dropping like flies at this point. It is not a good thing. And I'm trying to be extremely healthy, because I, I called some friends and said, what do I do to not get the flu? They said, well, eat healthy food. So I, this is no joke, I got a whole thing of, um, of spinach, and I just ate the whole thing, thinking, this will be good. So I just <laughs> ate the whole, I, I hate spinach. I have not eaten it in 14 months and two days. <laughs> so I take care of her, and she's throwing up. Oh, she, oh, my poor girl, she had it. The first time she's ever had the flu, four years old, she's crying, you know, and throwing up all night long until about two o'clock. She finally, she throws up for the last time. We're on our sectional sofa. I'm here, she's here. I'm kind of helping her. And and I wake up that last time and and I've got it. So I run to the bathroom. I said, Maria, you know, tag, (laughs) you're it. Run to the bathroom, throw up, pass out. Uh, my poor wife, because that's what I do, I pass out when I get sick. My poor wife, uh, she's staggering in to try to help me, but you can't really. Her compassion is a little low. You know, she's trying to give it to the kids, all she's got left. So she's like, here's a towel, you know, good luck. <laughs> and I had the flu, and it was the, it was the worst flu. I can tell you this, um, I'm pretty sure my kids christened every single room in our house with vomit in the first 36 hours of moving in. It was nasty. It was the worst We're starting a brand new series today that we're calling Affluenza. Affluenza. And in this series, we're asking this one question. What would it look like to have a financially healthy life? In five months, in five years, in 50 years, what would it look like to have a financially healthy life? Because money— it's a neutral thing. It's not good. It's not bad. Money is neutral and it's necessary. And yet there are certain things around money that cause a sickness that we're calling affluenza. There are certain symptoms we get, just like when you have the flu, you have those symptoms, nausea and vomiting and, and, and other things we don't need to talk about uh, today because some of you just had breakfast. Uh, It, it's gross. It's gross. But just like that, there are certain symptoms to affluenza that tell you either you're getting it or you're full-on in the midst of it. And I want to talk about what it would look like to not catch those symptoms anymore, to live free, because anyone can catch affluenza. Rich folks can catch affluenza— Poor folks can catch influenza. It doesn't matter how much or how little you have, everyone is susceptible to getting the germs that cause influenza. And there are some symptoms that an ABC poll a few years ago came out, and it talked all about the symptoms of influenza. It said things like this, feeling overwhelmed and trapped. That's a symptom of influenza. And they, they shared some stats. They said that the average baby boomer is retiring with $1,000 saved up for retirement. The average baby boomer. And there are 7,000 of you retiring every day. You feel trapped. You feel overwhelmed. They said Gen Xers aren't much better. A quarter of all Gen Xers, according to an ABC poll, spend $16,000 a year more than they make. And so they're just accruing debt at an incredible rate. And 50% of them said that they felt overwhelmed, like there was no way that they would ever pay off the debt that they've accrued. And that leads to stress, and it leads to worry, it leads to fighting. These are symptoms of money sickness. Sixty-four percent of couples that were surveyed said that their main fight in their marriage has to do with money and money-related issues. And friends, I want to talk about this with you for the next four or five weeks because I think this is an incredibly spiritual topic I think our money is incredibly spiritual because just—and think about this with me for a few minutes—if there truly is an enemy to your soul who's trying to throw you off track, who's trying to hurt you and destroy you and take you away from the things that you love the most and take you away from God, wouldn't it make sense that he would try to get you stressed out, that he would try to make you worried, that he would try to get you to fight constantly with your spouse in front of your kids so that they sigh? Wouldn't it make sense that he'd want to leave you hopeless like there was no way out? If he can do those things, he's winning. And for the average American, he is winning when it comes to finances. But I believe, and we believe at this church, that there is a a good God who loves you, who knows you, who created you, and who has a plan for your life. And wouldn't it make sense that if God is good, then the things that consume us, our thoughts and our energy and our time, wouldn't it make sense that the things that cause fights for most couples and leads to divorce more often than not, wouldn't it make sense that, that the things that limit our ability to find joy, wouldn't it make sense that God would have something to say? about those things. And if you, if you pour over the pages of the Bible, here's what you find out. God has a ton to say about, about money and about the cure to money sickness. See, God's great desire is that no one who knows him, that no one who loves him, would ever suffer from affluenza ever in your life. And today I want to talk about the root of affluenza, And then for the weeks that follow, we're going to talk about really practical steps about how to fight against money sickness when it starts to come in. But today, I want to focus on the root, because unless we uncover the root, then it doesn't matter how many practical steps we talk about in the weeks to come. They won't make any difference in your life. It won't matter what the Bible says about money, because unless we we can get to the root and agree on the root of what causes the germ that causes affluenza, it doesn't matter what the Bible says, it won't change your life. It doesn't even matter if you agree in theory with what the Bible says or what God says because it won't change our life until we understand the root of money sickness. Then we can't understand the cure. And in order to, to talk about the root of, of affluenza, the germ that causes it, I need to bring a friend out on stage. And before I do, before I do, I want to warn you about my friends. Um, some of you, I'll, just, I'll let you know, it's my dog, okay? And some of you are scared of dogs and I get that. Um, I promise I'll keep my dog here. And, and while she will look intimidating to some of you, um, she, she is not scary. She will not bite. So don't get scared. Um, and she's a little, she, she can be a little timid sometimes, so I don't want her to scare you by barking. So maybe just like snap or like rub your hands together. Whatever, sorority sisters, I don't know what you guys do, but something quiet way. Would you please welcome quietly my dog, Chloe Finkbeiner, on the stage? Could we bring Chloe out here for a second? Yeah, that's nice. That's, we don't want to scare her. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Look at you. What an incredible animal. This is Chloe. Now here's what you need to know about Chloe. I love dogs. Uh, I grew up with, with dogs. I, I had a Rhodesian Ridgeback as a child growing up, and, um, and so in the first year of marriage, I, I hinted ever so slightly, as I often do, um, to my wife Maria that I would really like to get a dog. But we lived in a tiny little apartment, and um, so as we went to Pounds, all the dogs I saw, uh, they were about the size of our apartment. And all the dogs Maria liked looked a lot like this, okay? Now, I'll, I'll say this. In our first year of marriage, we got Chloe, and Chloe is the perfect dog for us. Uh, she's small. She doesn't eat much. Um, she, she, even though she looks uh, intimidating, she's really not, okay? Uh, she wears sweaters. She likes pink. I actually have a sweater, which is a similar color uh, to Chloe's. Chloe, believe it or not, is a a fairly good hunting dog. Uh, I took Chloe out probably four years ago, and we were in this little kind of foresty area, and we saw a turkey. And so I did what every husband, what every man would do if your wife wasn't with you, uh, and you saw a turkey. I pointed Chloe in the direction of the bird. I let her off the leash, and she, just to see what would happen, would it be like a fight? I didn't know, you know. Was the turkey hungry? We were going to find out and Chloe took off after the turkey, and it was, it was incredible. If I had it on YouTube, it would have gone viral. She's chasing this turkey all around, and I'm sorry if you're a, like a PETA person. I apologize. Um, she's chasing this turkey all around. She treed the turkey. The turkey flew into a tree, and Chloe's standing there with a sweater on, treeing a turkey. I was so proud. I love Chloe. She's a perfect dog for us. She is a good think biner but I have a problem See, a couple years ago, some new neighbors moved into our, our old area where we lived, and they had a dog as well. They had a Great Dane. Right. Right. And the minute I saw that Great Dane, I got I got something inside of me. that said, you know what? I've got a dog, but I want another dog. I want a bigger dog. I want, yeah, I want a tough dog. I, I want a dog uh, that when I walk down the street— People don't chuckle, you know? What? I want a dog that can actually hold a full-size tennis ball in her mouth. I know. Plug your ears. See, I had to stop in that moment and ask myself, and Chloe, you go ahead and go see Mama. Go on. That's a good dog. I had to ask myself in that moment, how much dog is enough dog for me? I had to ask myself in that moment, how much dog does one man really need? I had to ask myself in that moment, will I ever have enough dog? I had to ask questions like, if my, do- if my neighbor gets a, a bigger dog, a better dog, a newer dog, does that somehow call my dog into question? Does it somehow make me less of a man if my dog is not as big as, as your dog? And see, here's what I realized: the problem was not my dog. The problem was when I saw a bigger dog, a better dog, a faster dog, a stronger dog, I stopped being content with my dog. And I believe, and I, we're going to explore this this morning. I believe the root cause of affluenza. It's not money. We think if I just had more money, then then I'll arrive, then I'll be content. It's not money. It's not the lack of money. The root cause of affluenza, I believe, is lack of contentment. It's lack of contentment, which is why when I made sixteen thousand dollars my first year out of college, I, I felt like if I just had a little bit more, I'd be doing better. And now that I'm, I've got a little more. I still, I just think if I had a little more, I, I'd be doing, I'd be doing better. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself this question: How much money is enough money? I'll bet I know the answer. I'll bet if I was to sit down and ask you, how much money is enough money? I'll bet you would say something like this. More than I currently have. That's how much money is enough money. I would guess that very few of us would say, about $10,000 less than I currently make. That's enough money for me. Because it's not really a money issue. The spiritual germ that causes affluenza, that causes, that causes fights and debt and, and angst and hopelessness and anger, it's not actually a money issue. It is a contentment issue. Lack of contentment starts early as children— how many, how many kids have you gone to the store with? And, and, and it's just like, I just want more. I just want more. I just want more. Yeah, but we just bought, we just bought the Elsa doll. Yeah, but I want, I want Sven, okay? I want Olaf. If anyone, if anyone knows Frozen, it's been horrible. It's been horrible. They just want more and more. And, it, and you know what, you know what lack of contentment does? It grows up into an ugly teenager that we call greed starts off by just thinking, it'd be nice if I had some more, and it turns into, I need more. And greed leads to debt. And greed leads to fighting. And greed leads to worry. And greed leads to hopelessness. And Jesus, because he loves us, he had a lot to say about the, the root cause, the spiritual germ that leads to affluenza in our lives, because he loves us. And remember, we're going we're gonna to talk about Jesus today. And if you were here last week, I said this. I said, anybody who can predict their own death and resurrection and then pull it off, I listen to him, right? So when it comes to this kind of stuff, I know we've all got our opinions and our ideas and our thoughts, but listen, Jesus predicted his own death and his resurrection, and he did it, and he did it. So it's worth at least giving him a look. This is what Jesus said. It was the height of his popularity. We're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 12. There were thousands of people gathered around at this point to hear him teach. He was a popular teacher, and someone from the crowd said to him, they said, "'Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me.'" Jesus replied, "'Man, who appointed me a judge, and arbiter, between the two of you?' Then he said to them, "'Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed.'" Because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, if you've ever lost a, a loved one, a parent, or a grandparent, you know how tricky it is to meet with siblings and divide up inheritance. One of the greatest gifts I ever saw from my parents was when my grandmother passed away. I remember driving home from Oregon from her memorial service and hearing mom and dad talk to each other and say, you know what? It doesn't matter if we get a fair share of the inheritance. The relationships we have with our siblings is more important. And that was an incredible gift, an incredible lesson, because the more I'm in ministry, the more I see how dividing an inheritance can divide a family. And that's what's going on here. So they asked Jesus, Jesus, tell my brother to give me my share of the inheritance. And Jesus goes straight to the heart of the question. He says it doesn't really matter how much you get. That's not really the issue. There was a law in the Jewish world that said the older brother got double whatever the younger brother got. So it's not really a question of who gets what. Everyone knows who gets what. He said the issue I want to deal with today is your lack of contentment with what you've got. And so Jesus, instead of dividing up the inheritance, he goes on to tell them a story, a parable with some made-up characters to to tell us a main point, to reveal something to us about God. And in this parable, he says in verse 16, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And the man thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store all my crops. I have so much money. It's filled the bank. What do I do? What do I do? And then he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger ones, and I'll store my surplus grain there. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. By the way, there's a lot of things I want God to say to me when I when I see him. That's not really one of them. I don't know. That's for me. It's not really one of them. But God said to this man, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded of you. Then who's going to get all that you've prepared for yourself, all that you've stored up for yourself? And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And I I want to be clear coming out of this. The amount of money this man has is not the issue. It's not the problem. We like to look at this guy and say, well, he's rich. That's the problem is he just had too much stuff. That's not the issue that Jesus is talking about. There are two extremes when it comes to people talking about money within the church. There's the prosperity gospel that says, if you love God and God loves you, you'll be a millionaire. And then there's the poverty theology that says, if you love God and God loves you, you need to take a vow of poverty and not have any money. Those are both extremes. Neither one of them is is faithful to the entire Bible. In the Bible, there are rich people who love God and honor God with their money, and there are poor people who love God and honor God with their money. And in the Bible, there are there are rich people who do not love God and do not honor him with their money, even though they go to church on a regular basis. And there are poor people who do not love God and do not honor him with their money. So the issue is not, should we be rich or should we take a of poverty? Somewhere in the middle, there's a reality here for us. The problem was not that this guy was rich. The problem was that he had placed his hope, he placed his security, he placed his well-being in his riches, in his riches, And because he had placed his hope and his security and his well-being in his money, he never felt like he had enough. Because here's the lie that money tells us. Money tells us, if you can just get enough of me, then you'll be secure. Then you'll be content. Then you'll be safe from every eventuality in the world. And God says, you're a fool if you think that. You're a fool if you think that, that, that getting more and more and more money is the thing that will protect you. Because ultimately, it won't. It is lying to you, and it will lead you down a path of greed and angst and bitterness and hatred and fear, and God wants better for you, and it will do all the things that bring about that money sickness, that affluenza in your life. For many people who struggle with affluenza, this is, this is the core issue. We've placed our hope in riches. We've, we've placed our hope in money because it gives us a, a sense of security. It gives us a sense of well-being because it makes us feel good because money can buy stuff like new shoes and a new shirt or a new car or a new sweater and that that feels good. That feels good. I, I can tell you that because, listen, I, I've had that very thought, just this week, just this week. My wife said to me about a month ago, she said, Kevin, um, your car that you drive, which um, I I call, I call him Americus. He's a Chevy Aveo. He's a hatchback. He could fit on this stage. Um, He's about the same size as my dog. So just to give you some context, he is the car version of my dog. Uh, She said, Kevin, I think you, you should get a bigger car. You've had this car for like six years. Get a car that can like hold the family that's a little safer. And the minute she said that, it was like, I should get a a bigger car. So I went to the car lot. You know what the car lot does? It has shiny things at it. And and you know what happens to the new shiny things? They smell a little nicer than the, the little bit older shiny things. And I don't know anything about car engines, but man, when I looked under the hood and it was shiny, oh man, I liked it. So um, so I looked at these car dealerships over the last couple of weeks, and the car that I really like is a Nissan Rogue, which is selling, by the way, brand new at the base model for eighteen thousand nine hundred eighty-eight dollars. That's a pretty good deal. And here's the thing: Maria and I have been following God's plan for financial freedom for since the beginning of our marriage. We got out of debt early on. We've been saving, so we actually have we have a good chunk of money set aside to put a down payment on a house because we want to put 20% down when we buy a house. And so we were doing the math and realizing, well, we could take $20,000 out of that house thing. We could actually just put down cash for a car right now. We could do it. It wouldn't be sinful. It wouldn't be wrong. So I called up a friend of mine who lives in San Diego because he's, he's, uh, how can I say this? Um, he's the brain to my heart. Okay. So I said, I really want this new shiny car. I drove it. It smells good. It looks good. It even has an engine in it. Um, What do you think? And my friend has been learning tact recently. He said, do you really want to know my opinion? Which is just a great question to ask before you beat someone over the head, you know? So yeah, I do. I want your opinion. He said, I think you're crazy. I think you could buy a $10,000 car or an $8,000 car that could fit your family that's got five or seven or eight good years in it. And you should save that $10,000 because you're trying to buy a house. I think you're crazy. I think you're not being content with what you can get just because you could get more. And when he said that, it pierced me. It pierced me. Because I realized lack of contentment was about to have me spend $10,000, which I, I had. I could spend. But I didn't need to spend if I would just practice contentment. That germ got into me and affluenza began to take over. So listen, I'm not standing up here saying we're immune to it. None of us is immune to it. None of us is. So Jesus says, be on your guard. He goes on to give us the solution. He says, so if lack of contentment is the problem, it's the root germ that causes influenza." here's the solution. He says in verse 22, he says, he went to his disciples, his 12 closest followers, and he said, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will what you will wear for this life is more than food. The body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They, they don't sow. They don't reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than a bird? He says, who of you by worrying can add even a single hour to your life? Since you can't even do such a very little thing like this, why would you worry about the rest? And I love that for God, adding hours to our life is such a very little thing. He says, since you can't do that, why worry about the rest? Verse 27, consider, consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon, who was was probably one of the richest uh, people in the ancient world, who loved God and God loved him. Not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. He says, Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. Don't let lack of contentment come into your life. He said for the pagans, the people who don't know God, they run after such things because they think, if I can just get enough, then I'll be happy, then I'll be content. But your father knows that you need them. So seek first God and his kingdom and all these other things will be given to you. Friends, the key to contentment is to trust. To trust that God sees you, that he loves you, that he knows what you need, and that he will provide. That's the key to contentment. Trusting that God sees us, knows us, loves us, and will give us what we need. See, we, we, we catch influenza when we, we have this lack of contentment, which leads us to put our trust in our stuff. He says, the cure for that is not to trust in stuff, which promises us things that it cannot ever give us, but to trust in a God who richly provides for all of our needs. Jesus would say this, why would you place your trust in riches? You know from experience that when you got your first job and you were single and you had, you made, you know, you were a thousandaire, you made like $30,000. That's more money than you'd ever had. And about a year into that, it didn't seem like enough. And then you got a raise, now you make $50,000 and that's more than you've ever had. But It doesn't seem like enough. And it just goes on and on. He says, why would you place your trust in riches? Instead, place your trust in me, God says, because I will richly provide all that you need because I see you and I love you and I have not forgotten about you and I will take care of you. In the weeks to come, we're going to unpack things like how to create a budget and then how to live on that. Next week, I, I've, I've been reading and learning from, from experts in the field of, of Christian biblical finance. I'm going to lay out five keys to, to God-honoring finances, and they're incredibly practical, and they will change your life, but they will only change our lives to the extent that we understand the root cause that keeps having us overspend and get into debt and causing this trouble and causing this fight. So, we're going to have a lot to do for the coming weeks. I'm going to give us assignments every week to find freedom in our life. But today, because we have a lot to do in the weeks to come, today I don't want to give you any work except for this, just this one thing. I want us to memorize something together, to think about something together, to meditate on it throughout the week. And it's this phrase, and I think we have it up on the screen. So, I will not place my trust in riches, but in Him who richly provides. That's the invitation from Jesus. Don't place your trust in riches, place it in a God who richly provides. And so what I want us to do is I want us to, to memorize that so that when, when we get the germ of lack of contentment kind of sneaking in, we can remember that. I will not place my trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. So I want us to say it together. And I'm not usually a, like, hey, let's say this all together, but I think it's worth saying. So we're going to try it together. And it, listen, if you don't like doing it, uh, say it loud because if you are you lame about it, I'm going to make us say it again, okay? I've, I've got all day. I'm not paid by the hour. All right, ready? So, I will not place my trust in riches, but in, in him who richly provides. Ready? One, two, three. I will not place my trust, but in him who richly provides. That was well done. Was well, done. Second service is a lot quieter. They're going to have to do like five or six. I think you guys have it. When you walk out this morning, you're going to get one of these business cards. And on the back, it has that phrase, I will not place my trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. And I would just encourage you, keep it in your pocket this week. Keep it on your dashboard this week. Keep it in your mirror this week and just look at it. And when you look at it, just remember that because all the weeks after this are going to be on that principle that God will provide for all of our needs as we follow after him. As we wrap our time up together this morning, if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, you're here and you're checking out this whole thing, I want to to invite you. These next four weeks will be really good for you. Whether you you know God or don't know God, these weeks will be very practical, very helpful, will lead you to some level of freedom. But I want to tell you this, and I really believe this. If I, if I knew something better to tell you, I would tell you. I really would. But I want to tell you this. I don't believe that you'll ever be able to find lasting financial freedom apart from God. Because we have to place our trust in something. We have to place it in something. Human nature draws us to put our trust into something or someone, and anything other than God will eventually let us down. So Jesus says, why not place your trust in me? I will provide for you. I will care for you because I love you and I know you. And if you've never made that decision, entered into a personal relationship with Jesus, where you transferred your trust from yourself or your spouse or your money or whatever it is, if you've never transferred your trust from something over to Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to do that today. I'm going to pray a prayer in just a second, and it's a prayer of commitment where you could could transfer your trust from whatever you've had it in over to Jesus Christ, and it will change your life because God loves you and he has a plan for you. And that plan starts as you start to walk with him. So would you join me? Let's, Let's pray together. Jesus, I ask that this this affluenza series would be a freeing series for us. Uh, that we would look at money in a new way, that, that it would be uh, a time that, that you inspire us, that you engage us, that, that we never feel condemned, but we feel the freedom that you offer when it comes to the area of finances. And that, Lord, we would be a, a church made up of individual people who have experienced financial health, so that we could experience health in other areas of our lives. Because we believe this is a key one that really unlocks the door to so many other areas of freedom. So would you give us the courage to walk with you in this journey and to engage with you and to not check out, to not get distracted, but to fully and finally focus in on you. As we continue to pray, if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to give you a chance to do that right now. I want to tell you something. God could not love you more than he does. We talked about it at communion, that God loves you so much that he left heaven and he came to earth to give his life on a cross, to pay the penalty for your sin, so that you could be restored back to a God who loves you, so that you could be forgiven of your sin, so that you could walk in relationship with God every day from this day forward into eternity. That's how much God loves you, and he's inviting you to come back to him today. He created you to know Him and to be in relationship with Him. So if you're ready to make that decision, you can pray this simple prayer. You can whisper it where you're sitting or say it in your head. Just repeat these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you love me. I believe you love me so much that you left heaven and came to earth and that you lived a perfect life and that you gave your life willingly on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin today I say yes. Yes, I want this life that you're offering me. Yes, I want you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk every day from this day forward into eternity with you? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message.